Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. Oops. Hold on, Michael's got to hit mute here on his phone. <laughs> All right, we welcome you to the show. Today is Monday, March the 14th, 2016. Apologies for the echo here. <laughs> and today we are going to continue with a conversation that we started on Thursday. And Dr. Tim, I see you're with us. We were going to continue it on Friday, but since you couldn't be with us on Friday, we decided to postpone it until today to finish it because you had some good input on it too. And that was the topic of when is it okay to leave? And so we're going to continue with that. I've had several questions being texted to me or or um, emailed to me. And so we will continue with that in a moment. But first, let's welcome Michael. Oh, I guess I should give you the phone number. If you're listening, 646-200-4169, press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to have your comments and your questions because it makes it your show. Welcome, Michael. And we are delighted and honored for everybody that chooses to join us every day that you choose to join us as we engage in this awesome Aramaic understanding of life, the tools and the how-to of living truly deeply in the experience of being human. Of course, the experience of being human is easily described by an experience not very easily described in words. So, remember the last time you held a newborn child? There's human life. There's how we are designed to live with that awesome active presence of love in our physiology 24-7, 365. And that is what we're here to support each and every person who taps in in doing and living their true purpose out of their true being and what their heart calls for them to be doing in the world and to bring that forward in a way that contributes to supporting a world that really is about human life, that really is about bringing the highest and best around to everyone on the planet. And, you know, there's an interesting scriptural statement that says without vision my people perish and there's an old adage that says if you don't know where you're going you're probably going to get there 
And so my my input would be that if there's something that you're going to be creating in your life, you've got to have a vision for it. You've got to be able to tap into what that vision is. For instance, in the context of relationship, you know, in their heart of hearts, even the person who's, you know, a real player in the relationship world, when you get right down to it, what they want is that sweet space of caring, nurturing, loving support with a person that is an eternal relationship. That's been my experience with person after person after person. And most people are terrified to go for it because they hold genetic hurts, they hold pain and trauma. And so when pain and trauma starts to come forward, for most people, the only option seems to be, well, I've got to get out of here as though it's here that's creating the pain and trauma. Certainly, if you've got someone who has a fist aimed at your nose, you're right. It's time to get your feet moving and get into a safe space. But beyond that, the pain and trauma that people say they experience in relationship, they do not experience in relationship at all. They experience that pain and trauma in their bodies, and they don't experience the pain or trauma because of their relationships. They experience the pain or trauma because that pain or trauma is in them. And certainly, as we said the other day, and I think we came to a consensus on this one, everybody has the right to say, I'm out of here when they choose to do that. And at the same time, my offering the other day was, and we'll kind of turn it over to Tim and pick it up from there, is that it's time for us to heal the leaving issue right up to including death. If I don't know that I can live an eternal life, that energy is designed to be eternal, which means if I am energy, I'm designed to be eternal. If I don't know that's possible, I'm not going to have a vision for that. And if I don't have a vision for that, I'm not going to achieve that. It's going to be very damaging to my eternal possibilities. And as I said the other day, if it's all a fantasy and we could never be eternal anyway, I promise it won't hurt you to live as though you were going to be. So either way, if you go for it, who knows? You may be successful at it, and it may be yours. If you don't go for it, and it might have been, then it won't be. So that healing of the leaving issue, and to me it's about all of the above. It's every tool that we teach. Whenever something come up, comes up in me that says, i got to get out of here, I've got to escape, what I'm trying to escape is my feelings, and my feelings are coming, again, short of somebody aiming their fist at my nose, my feelings are coming not from the external world, not from my projections, but they're coming from what's happening inside of me. And oftentimes I will create hallucinations. I will create pictures of other people as the cause of what's happening inside of me because I'm in such deep denial that I could possibly cause such things in myself. And I'm in such deep denial that I have a genetic structure that holds such trauma and such drama that I think I need to be continuously escaping. It's time to give up the escape routes. It's time to be the space of love and to maintain your connection to source and self for eternity and see where things go from there. Tim, welcome, sir. How do you be? I'm doing very well, thank you. Awesome. I listened to the show on Friday as I was driving down to Peoria, so I... I understood that you were delaying the conversation, and I enjoyed the show and the content. I thought it was stimulating on Friday. 
um, going back into the conversation from Thursday, um, I think it all began with a question from Jeannie that some people were asking about when it's okay to leave. And I gave a rather um, prolonged answer, I thought, based on the way I think about these issues, about how my first simple answer is it's always okay to leave. And the extended um, follow-up to that is, and I always have consequences when I leave. And if I leave and I think I'm leaving because somebody else has got a problem, I've just created a prison for myself. And I'm going to drag that set of issues and that prison around with me and duplicate it in the next relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And if I leave, I might be leaving the very person who is most able to help me process that issue and process the traumas in my life that brought me there. So it's a choice or a decision, as you say, and it has consequences. And I agree with you that I'm never feeling upset in a relationship because of what somebody else is doing or not doing. And I agree with you as we talked about that if I choose to leave a relationship and I'm doing it from a place of calm, I'm doing it from a place of having looked at the fact that I'm creating my upset and I'm simply reaching a decision that this isn't the right relationship for me, this isn't the right place for me to be, I still have a lot of work to do. And if I leave thinking, good, I'm done with that, I've created a prison. Um, the other thing that was happening right at the end of the call on Thursday was we were talking about you were saying that leaving is the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues on the planet, leaving relationships with the divorce rate being 60% or more, leaving in terms of dying. And I pointed out that some people have that as one of their primary issues in a relationship is leaving. And it's been my experience that other people have the other end of the pattern in their relationships as a problem. And that is they stay long after there was anything healthy going on in the relationship. They stay for fear of not being able to find somebody who would love them. They stay because they're trying to make the other person whole or healthy or happy, they stay because they're replicating an unhealthy pattern within themselves. And the essential piece is to dig into myself and forgive and dismantle, drop and release those negative, unhealthy, disintegrative energies and patterns and beliefs in relationship my pattern of trying to fix somebody else, my pattern of trying to blame them for my upset. And if I'm able to do that, I open the space for a healthier relationship. It might be with the same person who's in front of me, and it might be that person is not going to make the same decisions or same choices to do their work to to, to be able to meet me at a healthier space in a relationship. However, I have to do that for myself or I won't be able to be in a healthier pattern in relationship. So 
one of the things we were talking about right there at the end of the discussion on Thursday was that you were coming back and saying, if you're in a relationship and you don't have the tools and you're thinking that the other person is causing your upset, then you're leaving for the wrong reasons. I agree with that. And if I'm in a relationship, I've been exposed to the tools, I'm working on it, I understand it's my upset, and I reach a level of realization this isn't a good place for me to be. Without blaming, without anger, looking at the person in front of me and saying, they simply don't want to do this kind of work. They don't want to take responsibility for their side of the equation. I will release them to have whatever pattern of relationship and life they choose with someone else, and I will open myself to a healthier possibility. If I leave that relationship and I jump into another relationship with another person that I think is going to be better, is going to be healthier, is going to be my soulmate, I'm probably making a huge mistake. My experience has been that the people who leave a relationship and take the time to do their work and heal, they're part of the pattern of conflict, pain, guilt, blame, that that was part of what was happening in their last relationship, that was part of their coming to the conclusion this isn't a, a, a good place for me to be, those people have the best chance of engaging in a healthy pattern of relationship going forward. After a period of living alone, of digging into their issues, of doing what some would call the psychological autopsy of the last relationship, through the filter of saying, I'm the one who created my half of this pattern. I'm the one who's responsible for everything I felt in this pattern, and I can do my work to dismantle those energies and probably by the time that's done, have an entirely different view of the person I left the relationship with and myself and everyone else I run into. So that's my And own. therein lies the danger. I say, and therein lies the danger. Because the person who says, well, I'm leaving because of what's wrong with this person because they won't and they won't. The the challenge is that what I'm looking at when I make all those judgments about that other person is I'm looking at a picture in my mind that's generated by my mind. It's my perception. It's my construct. And it's really telling me about me. And I certainly want to be collapsing that and starting to look at what I'm really saying about myself. I remember working with a person who was, uh, this was just a while back, and they were in a relationship with someone, and they were telling me about how this person wouldn't do their work, and they wanted to do worksheets, and and then this person got into a depth of contact with their own pain that was beyond what they normally allowed themselves. And I said, okay, you ready to do a worksheet on that? Well, I love worksheets, but no, I'm not interested in doing a worksheet on that. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with any of this stuff. I was like, oh, okay. So notice the projection. And and one needs to be really careful 
as they they think they know what's wrong with that other person that what they're really telling themselves is about the dissociated part of their own minds and certainly there is a skill level that's required and a and a depth of doing one's work to get to a point of clarity around all of that Is that fit for you, Tim? Does that make sense? Yes, it 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 all fits, and it may be the best thing for me to do to leave and do my work about all those projections, et cetera. If I leave and I say I'm not interested in doing the worksheets, then that's not what I'm promoting. I'm promoting being able to say, okay, I'm going to leave, and I do my worksheets. I do my work. I may turn around and look at the other person and say, wow. That that was 80% of the problem in the relationship was me. I may see the person completely differently, and I may say maybe I should go back and offer to reinstate you know, the pattern of interaction or at least apologize for what I now see was the disruption from my end. No. It's and, all the inside job. We're agreeing on that. It's all. Yeah, it's all an inside job. And at the point where I'm sure that I'm – leaving because of of uh, what they're doing or not doing i'm projecting the part of my mind that doesn't want to do that and i and i leave one of the major reasons for leaving my take is that i don't want to get in touch with that level of my mind and of my pain and if i can just leave then i can avoid it and escape it and for that person i stay say stay right where you are again if there's a fist aimed at your head or a gun get the hell out of dodge you know as fast as you can no question about it but short of that <clears throat> If you're sure it's all about that other person, then make sure that you do a huge piece of work around yourself in your beliefs in that because I've seen it over and over and over again, exactly the situation I just described. Yeah, well, the problem is they just won't do their work, but when they confronted the deepest levels of their pain, which they normally control their lives in a way and set their lives up so they don't have to look at that, it was just exactly the same thing as they were accusing their partner of. And so it's it's definitely, you know, it's building a skill set. And, and my biggest offering here is, you know, before one becomes too quick, and of course everybody's got the right to leave anytime they choose. And I, once again, I'll reiterate, it is the biggest issue on the planet. You know, you look at people who live a life of denial and they get into sometimes in their 50s and 60s, all of a sudden dementia starts to set in. I think that that dementia for a lot of people is a way of leaving. Now, somebody will say, well, yeah, but they went in and they did an MRA and they found this buildup in the carotid artery that cut the the flow of information in the brain. Yes. You know why they had that buildup? Because they didn't want to deal with their lives and they sat there and they ate all the junk food they could to, to build up the carotid arteries to stop the flow of information to the brain, their blood to the brain, so the brain wouldn't work properly. And so now here they are with dementia or Alzheimer's or what have you. It's it's checking out and not wanting to deal. And I'm inviting people to check in and take that issue off the table, heal it, move through it, and see what else ensues, see what comes next. And and certainly it's a fine line that everybody has to assess for themselves. Can I throw something in? Please, please, sweetie. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was speaking with someone earlier today, and one of the things I said was, you know, we can look at any issue, whether it's a relationship, whether it's um, fear or whatever, 
we can look at any issue from two perspectives. One is that it's coming from our fear and our hostility, our carbon-based memory, or from the perspective of we've done our work around it and we're in a connected space and we can still see the truth of the matter, or at least as close to the truth as we can see with our, our physical eyes and ears, and can recognize the situation. So say that a person stays in a relationship, does their work around it, or with it, like I said, with any issue, but we're talking about relationships right now, and are at that calm space like Dr. Tim was talking about, um, and they can, you know, they've done their work around it, but they can see from a kind of the observer position that it's not a good relationship to be in. It's not healthy. It's not they're not moving in the same direction and and at that point say you know I love you and bless you and you want to play there and I want to play here and we go our separate ways I I know that and I have said before in intensives and things and probably even on the radio show that I know if I had had these tools back before I uh, divorced my son's father I mean we'd been together for 24 years and uh, if I had had these tools, I think that even just doing my work, that there would have been a way of salvaging it. However, I can also look at it, you know, if if I hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have had the tools, so it's kind of a catch-22. However, I can also there. look back. <laughs> yeah, I can look back on it and realize that it wasn't a healthy relationship, and I could see the downward spiral that I was going in and that our son was going in based on the interaction with my former. And so, you know, even doing these tools and being in that connected space, I'm not sure that that relationship would have been healthy to have stayed in anyway. So I think from an observer's point of view, and, and we became super good friends afterwards. And before he passed away, you know, we were, you know, really good friends. But, um, you know, I think that, that is a situation, too, where even from a clean perspective, I could say that it wasn't a healthy relationship. And so, I mean, I didn't have a fist coming at my nose, but there was uh, some mental and emotional stuff going on. And, you know, I've done a lot of work around it, even though he's gone. So I don't know. Um, I'm kind of, I can understand what you're saying absolutely about staying and not running from it. And doing your work around it, but then I think there's also times when you can, from a calm observer perspective, see that it's not a healthy place to stay. And whether there's a fist at your nose or not, that there is a time where, you know, for me anyway, that it was okay to say, you know, I need to leave. Yeah. And, of course, the Healing Through Relationships workshop is not called Healing Your Relationships, which was the title when it first started out because I thought there was such a thing as diseased relationships. <clears throat> and my take is the person who's in a relationship that they say there's something wrong with this relationship and it's really that there is no relationship independent of the people who create it. So what I really want to get out of is the unhealthy mind that creates these dynamics in relationship. There is no point Again, short of with somebody with a fist or a gun at your head, there is no point at which I can say they're the problem because 
I am a co-creator of the relationship, and it's total denial and dissociation to say, yeah, well, it was the relationship that was unhealthy. There are no unhealthy relationships. There are unhealthy people in relationships, and unhealthy people in relationships co-create insane dynamics. And when I isolate myself from the insane dynamics of dissociation by saying, yes, well, you see, it's them that's the problem here. It's the relationship that's the problem. I'm lying to myself. What I'm living in is my own internal created mess, and I need to keep coming back over and over and over again and recognizing, and you've heard me say this before, this is about me. This is about me. Gee, this person is so crazy that I could just plow them in the face. Oh, that clenched fist is about me. It's not about them. It's got nothing to do with anything they've said or done. The clenched fist is mine. It's my internal dynamics that lead to that. The gut that closes down and holds the breath is mine. It's about me. I'm unhealthy in that relationship. The relationship is just my creation that's reflecting to me. Now, certainly... When I'm reconnected to a total space of love and I'm truly connected, I have the right to say, here's how I want to live. You want to live a different way? Sayonara. That's cool. But the moment at which I, I, I think or speak, remember our definition of denial is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something going on inside of me. When I run, I'm always running from what's going on inside of me and what I've created and that unhealthy self in that relationship that co-creates the insane dynamics is what needs to be healed in each case. And I've had people say to me before, does that mean that you could actually be in relationship with anyone? Yes, you could. If you live as the presence of love, and, and, and until you can live as the presence of love, you have no right to assess another person's fitness for relationship or to pronounce that they're the problem. Because while you're in a mind of disconnect from love, you're in an insane mind. I'm in an insane mind. Anyone who is there. And it is certainly a standard beyond what the world has conceived of as what makes relationship work or what doesn't. So so the, the, the workshop is entitled Healing Through Relationships, and each of us in relationship gets to look at ourselves in spades and feel. You know, if, if there's any component of you <clears throat> that's running away because of what you're feeling, your mind is a liar if your mind is telling you that your feelings are about what somebody else did. Your mind is just plain, flat-out lying to you. You're feeling what you're feeling because of what's going on inside of you. And if you apply forgiveness, then you can remove what's going on inside of you. In that same circumstance where that person does all the same things and is natty, ratty, nasty, you know, whatever they do, and I maintain the connection to the active presence of love in my physiology, then what's going to tend to happen is I'm going to see another being made of love that has their own pain, their own trauma. And in a space of compassion, 
I'm going to more effectively be able to work to communicate and draw them through their pain, out of their pain, and bring each of us to a new level of a healed state. There is no diseased relationship. There are only diseased people who co-create what looks like a diseased relationship. And and what we point out in the Healing Through Relationships workshop is, oh, so here we've got two people in relationship, one, in relationship, and person one has problem one. I am so frustrated at what they do. Person two has problem two. I'm so angry at what you're doing. So here's person one with their frustration saying, you and this relationship frustrate me so much. And if you just change my mind, then everything would be okay. Person two in their anger says, and you or their fear, you terrified. Can't you see how afraid I am? Yeah, you know, I was noticing how afraid you are. Can I support you being responsible for and healing that fear instead of blaming somebody else for it? So person two stands there in their fear and says, yeah, and you frightened me so deeply. If you could just change my mind, my my perception of fear. So person one is expecting person two in the relationship to do their work. Person two is expecting person one to fix their mind. So now the, the, the downward spiral of hostility and infantile blame for the fact that this partner won't take care of my pain is why I'd offer most people leave, and it's a mistake. And Michael, we have Julie with us. Um, oh, cool, so young lady. Hey, yeah. Hey, Julie. Let's see what kind of feedback you've got for us. Oh, I'm really enjoying the conversation, and I totally agree with what Michael has to say. I totally agree that every relationship in my space has helped me heal my mind, and that's way it's set up. You know, every person that comes in, whether you know, they're all holy relationships, and whenever they come into my space, if there's something that is resonating for me, then I'm an error, and I do my work around that. And that happened in my classroom daily, <laughs> and it happened, it's happened in my life ever since I learned about the tool of forgiveness. So um, I totally agree with what Michael's saying. You know, it's, it's, uh, God is always showing me me through another and uh, when, you know, I create more peace with relationships, I realize I've created more peace with myself. So I'm, I'm excited about the whole, the whole radio show today. It's very, very interesting. And thank you so much for um, contributing what you've contributed, Michael. It's always fun when we get to confront ourselves and, you know, the mind is so creative. The generational patterns are so deeply ingrained that can make excuses for us in why whatever I did was justified. And and another piece of the puzzle, I think, is a, a powerful thought from A Course in Miracles that I like to bring in often, and that is beware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. And when I hold a goal, when I want it to be different than it is, then I tend to create layer of trauma upon layer of trauma. And my mind will give me excuses for why. And, and, and it was justified and it was okay and I should have. And, and my input is that ultimately 
you know, if uh, if every child on the planet is going to be conceived and loved and grow grow up with parents who cherish each other and cherish that child, somebody has to face the horrible depths of pain that through the generations have caused people to leave. And looking at those horrible depths of pain means that there is going to be gut-wrenching physical pain, heart-tearing emotional pain, and torturous mental pain that the individual is going to have to open within their own energy systems and allow to come forward and work through. And it is, it one, it's not going to be Dr. Feelgood to go to those depths. Most people set up and arrange their lives so they never have to look at that level of their minds. And if they are forced to look, they will do such vile things to the people around them in order to keep from looking at that level of pain. And my invitation to everybody who steps into this work, and, you know, the Greeks said to us, don't ever open Pandora's box. But they didn't tell us if you don't open Pandora's box that your whole life would become Pandora's box. Our invitation is open Pandora's box. Be willing to go to the deepest gut level of what is in you. Be willing to capture that in the presence of love, in the hands of Christ, in the mind of Christ, and allow it to be dissolved from you. And as you do that, you will become such a space for the healing of these dynamics that it will open a whole other level, a whole other window. You know, you look at at Yeshua and you know, we're just coming up to the to the time of year when we're going to celebrate, if that's a proper word for such a thing. A man who when he went into the garden of Gethsemane went through such a deep and painful healing process. Now, I'm looking at this, and I'm going to put my naturopathic physician's hat on for a minute. If someone had death frequencies in them from a thousand generations of people who've died and lived in trauma and pain of a culture like the Roman and Jewish culture was 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, As a naturopath, it would not surprise me in the least to hear their healing process as that of their pores actually sweat blood. And that's what we're told Yeshua went through. Now, the black ops story told us that he went through that because he was crying for the world and its trauma. My offering is no. He was detoxifying for stepping into a place where they couldn't kill him. He he squeezed out, he bled out, he breathed out, he prayed out through the active presence of love every frequency in his bloodline that could possibly kill him. That's where the real work of redemption was done. And then he stepped out. And and here he is now, fully human, fully 
totally, completely realized human life, the total active presence of love incarnated in a physiological device that every cell was prepared to incarnate that active presence of love. And he faces the high priest servant, and he already knows what's going to be done to him. His, his intuition's been proven. He knows they are about to shred his body to pieces. And when Peter pulls his sword and goes to take off the high priest servant's ear, I can only imagine that Yeshua probably gave him the look. <laughs> it's Peter, that's not what we're here for. And then he tells Peter why he allowed him to bring the sword. He said, Peter, here's a lesson you and the world need to learn. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. If you have a vile tongue, you will die by your own vile tongue. If you speak words of another out of rage and hate and fear, then you will die of your own rage and hate and fear. That is, in essence, what he's saying to Peter. And if you raise that sword, then that sword ultimately will be what will pierce your own heart and kill you. And then the man who's going to have him mercilessly slaughtered. Now, if there was ever a time when it's time to leave a relationship, here's the high priest servant, Yeshua. Yeshua should have turned tail and run. What did he do? The high priest servant, who's going to have him mercilessly slaughtered, he reaches forward, and he heals and reattaches his ear. The man who's injured, the man who's going to have him slaughtered in the worst way you could fathom in that day, Knowing what this man is about to do to him, he reaches forward in love and heals him. Now, if you're in a relationship and you can be that space and reach forward to that person you say you think is the problem in your life, then and maybe then would be time to say, yeah, it's probably t it may be time for me to leave. When you can do that. But what happens to Yeshua? Well, they march him off. And they put him through the worst tortures possible. And they put him on a cross. And it is the most torturous death possible. And as he gets, and, and here's the depth of pain that he was willing to go to. He's at about his third hour hanging there. The Greeks mistranslate his words perfectly, or perfectly. Or terribly, <laughs> a perfect mistranslation. And in fact, it's interesting because, you know, those who are champions for the Greek translation say, well, these words were left in the original Aramaic. Uh, excuse me? If the original was Aramaic, then why are we not telling people the original was Aramaic? Why were you telling it was Greek? I mean, right there in the Greek translations. Well, we left this in the original Aramaic. It was obviously Aramaic originally. And we're told, he says, and if you read that in the Aramaic, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, we're told that he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So here's the man that, men, that other men say is God, and he is now forsaken by God. Talk about leaving people in a no-win situation and hopeless. In Aramaic, what he actually said at that moment, which physiologically would have been excruciatingly painful, he didn't say, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, ah, oh, Papa, Papa, for this you set me aside. Ah, to learn and to teach that if I have no death in me, they can't kill me. It's complete. I got it. 
leave your relationship when there's no death in you, if you choose to. You probably wouldn't have any need to at that point. Until then, I say keep doing your work. Keep doing your work. And it might, your detox, your healing, might look like sweating blood. But you will open a door in the world that will heal millions because you've chosen to go to that level. And so we're told that death ensued. Three days he rebuilt the temple. Why was he able to rebuild the temple in three days? Because they could not cause the loss of the awareness of his human life no matter what they did to him. Most people are so identified with their bodies that when the bodies get broken, they lose their awareness to what is broken in their bodies. And their lives are effectively over. Maintain awareness of being. Live as a human being. Refrain from giving it up for anything. And you step into a whole different level of true human life. You know, people use an excuse in this culture of, well, you're only human. No, you're human. The strength, the blessing, the state of being is your humanness. The rest of it is all non-human. Yeshua said, I come to bring you life and bring it more abundantly. Simple, single purpose. He didn't come to bring us all the doctrine and all the dogma that people are beating each other over the heads with through the churches. He didn't come for any of that. One thing, one thing. I come to bring you life. You to experience the truth of your being, whatever your circumstance is, and to do that so abundantly that no matter what anybody else says or does in your most private, intimate relationships or your most distant relationships, no matter what they do, you will not be capable of pain because there is none left in you. There is no death left in you. I think he left us quite a gift. And I, for one, am here to understand and to the degree that I'm capable, integrate that gift into my life and to stand to the best of my ability wish I were perfect at it but I'm not yet to stand as that awesome presence of love and to go through those things that otherwise I normally set my life up so I never have to look there your relationships will make you look at what it is that you never wanted to look at Keep looking, and great transformation takes place. And Jeannie tells me that we've got a caller, so let's say hello to our caller. We do, and it's area code 910. You're on the air. Hey, Michael, Jeannie, Dr. Kim. Hey there, young lady. Hey, young lady. I know. I can't believe I'm – I should believe. I can't believe. I'm calling in. I feel just strong enough to make this call. It's been – a real process this after the intensive in Florida, which, um, by the way, was absolutely phenomenal. For anyone who's thinking about going to an intensive, um, 
I was just sitting here thinking as I'm listening to you talk uh, today. I, I got on about 15 minutes late, so I really didn't get to hear the very beginning, but I know it was on relationships, and I'll go back and listen to it again. But I was going to say, anyone who wants to sign up for the summer intensive at Heartland, um, the, <laughs> the moment you sign up and make your commitment is the moment that your intensive starts. It starts the intensive right goes. <laughs> yeah, yes. it, it, well, Michael, Dr. Rice really did say that it started the moment you left the intensive, which I can believe that this time for sure. <laughs> and um, I, I just said, just be very clear when you make that commitment to make sure you give money, whatever amount will do, and then to be sure that Rufin knows your intention, just start to formulate your intention, what you want to clear, because in this intensive, I, I laugh, I set my intention to clear my blocks to truth. And um, wow, what an intensive I had. I mean, the people that were there, I'm sure they can attest to uh, what rolled out was like not pretty. When he says not Dr. Phil, oh, we, won't talk, <laughs> oh we won't talk about that. We won't talk about that. Oh my gosh. I don't, I'm not even going to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I want it sworn to secrecy. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I did have an instance. <laughs> I did have an instance last night come up with a, a girl that's in my laws of living. She called me. It was like 8 o'clock at night. She has been very respectful since I got home. She said, I don't want to, I want you just to be able to process through what's going on. And I was sweet. Um, and she started to talk and tell me a story. She's taken the laws of living with me a few times um, to get deeper and deeper levels. And um, she started to talk. And, there, and I'm sitting back and I'm listening. And there was a point in the conversation where I said to myself, okay, remember Dr. Rice being very, what I called in my world, confrontive of you and your language and what you were saying and what was going on and how you looked at that. Michael, please forgive me. And I called you sort of mean. Mean? What the word? Mean. Mean, <laughs> not you're me. Mean. And if you'll remember correctly, I said, and I don't do it like that. Remember that? <laughs> I'm laughing now because it's funny, Jeannie. I'm sure you're Never say too. never, right? <laughs> oh. And so what I said to her, I said, well, would you be willing to allow me to play John the Baptist just a little bit? I said, you know the story that I might, you know, I'm going to duck or I might get my head cut off, but I, I would like to you know, just give you some feedback on that language. And so we did, and we took it to a deeper level, and we ended up um, drawing her daughter into the conversation who was home from college, and and it was a a really huge healing, and things had taken place since I'd been gone that were um, she wasn't going to tell me about, but it was the next layer peeling off, and it was such a gift. And I realized at that moment, as I I was hanging up the phone, I was thinking, it takes the true, true friend, the true person that's willing to hold the mirror up and be willing to um, show you and, and work with you in a place when you might be in non-being and you might come at them. It's, it's true. For I know love is what we are, but it's truly the most caring, loving position to take because I could have just hung up the phone and said, Wow, she's in her story. Whew, glad I'm not there. And it, it was a choice. It was a choice to say, would you be willing to let me give you some feedback? And I can see now so much of a different perspective 
uh, sort of what Jeannie was telling me during the intensive is Dr. Rice really does care about you. <laughs> and she said Michael. But anyway, she was so sweet. And at the time, I was so much in my non-being delusion, hallucination, uh, to think differently. And I just want you to know, I got a little taste of it last night of really seeing um, to the level of degree that you you encouraged me. We're going to use that word. Uh, that was to the level of the degree that you, you really were helping me with my process. And I want to say publicly how much I appreciate you and the whole group for holding that space of love um, so that what came up could move out and continue to move out. And, I mean, it touches me deeply as I say that. I know there's a certain amount of emotion that comes up. So from a soul level, I'm very, very grateful to be in the process of um, continuing to let that go and step into the place of um, love and being who I am and doing the work that I came here to do. Um, it's, it's, I'm still eating the raw diet. I, I put on the board nine, at least 90%. I was having truffles as you were talking that I made. I can't wait to tell Ari. Um, and uh, Terry Mann, uh, a really good friend of mine, came over and we had just the two of us had a, a little bit of a raw dinner and she made the rice, the black rice that you have on the website, the recipe. I don't think it's in the recipe book because I looked. And uh, I made salad dressing, the kind that you lick the plate. <laughs> so um, I was just going to encourage everyone. <laughs> awesome. If you, yeah, if you don't have the recipe book, get online and order it because uh, they will tell you that when I first went to Heartland, uh, I was scared. I, I, I had so much fear around knives that I would stand for 15 minutes trying to pick one out that I was going to chop with. And Ari told me this time, he said, wow, you can use a knife now. You're much better. And, and so now I can actually use the food processor and the Vitamix and make um, some raw dishes and help keep my level of vitality up so that I'm strong enough to move the rest of this and hopefully some more energy out that doesn't belong that might cause disease. So anyway, that's it for me. I, w- I want to thank you for the relationship uh, part today, and I'll continue to listen to it again. I'm sure I'm going to get deeper and deeper levels of awareness. Fabulous. Well, it's it's, uh, it's just awesome to watch what you have done from day one with your own process and, you know, that you just keep deepening and deepening and then taking it to uh, to the city of Wilmington uh, by teaching, what, four laws of living classes now very successfully with uh, awesome changes in people's scores and, you know, just bringing truth forward. You know, there are times when the stress level goes up and it can be a challenge, but uh, on the other side of it, there's always such a relief when we can open that dissociated part of the mind, which sometimes kind of comes kicking and screaming, but uh, but it's always safe to move through the layers. And, you know, the, the other beautiful part of it is that you'll never confront anything that isn't there already. So, and, and you know, the truth is that we survived it on the way in, so we'll survive it on the way out and be much better for having it out rather than in. And, you know, sometimes our relationships uh, play John the Baptist for us and show us those parts and uh, and one has to be careful about taking off a partner's head 
because one is in pain themselves and to keep moving into that level of responsibility, keep stepping into the Garden of Gethsemane and cleaning out the layers and cleaning out the layers and cleaning out the layers. It's uh, it's a powerful process. In fact, with, with this you. season, you know, with this being in the uh, coming up to uh, Palm Sunday and Easter season, a really powerful thing I would suggest everybody does is order a copy of, um, if you don't have it already, The Passion of the Christ, you know, we were told a lot of stories, a lot of black op stories about what happened to Yeshua. And, you know, sit down in front of it with worksheets and, and ready to breathe and to heal all the things you were told about how it was your fault and it was done, you know, because of your quote-unquote sin. But really stand there as that space of light. You know, there's a really beautiful, beautiful scene, very traumatic looking when you look through the, the, uh, the projections of the mind based in pain. But, you know, there's a point where Mary has been trying to get to Yeshua and she just can't. She just can't face him. It's too much because he's been so traumatized. I mean, he's been whipped and beaten and thorns, and and so he's he's carrying this heavy wooden cross and very graphically falls just as she's coming over to him. She's finally able to face him in all of this pain. This is her son. I mean, how deep does it get? And when he falls, and it's very graphic, she turns away. And I thought it was just so powerful that Mel Gibson caught this moment where she turns and she processes her past around her son Yeshua being hurt. You know, she turns and she gets this vision of him falling as a little boy and hurting herself himself. And then, having processed that, she's able to go right to him. And while to the to the eye it looks like he's torn and flesh torn and, and horrifically tortured, that's not where he is. He is in his human beingness. And he says to Mary, he says, Behold, mother, I make all things new. In other words, here he is giving us the example of what we can do. He is the active space of love in what the world would call some of the worst torture possible, and he transmutes it. And he transmutes it by, rather than being lost in what the world is doing, he's connected to the active presence of love and brings that love forward. And he says, behold, mother, I make all things new. I'm transforming suffering. It was kind of interesting. I, I shared at the beginning of the show, or actually it was an, an interview I did earlier with someone today, I think. Uh, and we were—I was sharing that we had just gotten a two-hour film on the life of Saint Augustine. I found it interesting that Augustine talks about all the trauma of the world being transmuted. Here's a guy. What was he? Fourth century, and he's talking about the transmutation of energy. That's pretty cool. And interestingly enough, he translated Paul's words or his whole 
perspective, his whole writing from Corinthians on love, and he does it with proper regulatory speech rather than Paul and all the things he's avoiding, all the things he reflects in his speech. It's pretty interesting. I only know of two people who've ever done that. I did it about eight years ago, and and Augustine did it in the fourth century. We just found out there's a little booklet that came with the movie. And he eliminates all of the destructive speech, all of the do-nots in it, and Augustine. And I would love to know more about where Augustine got his understanding of speech. We'll be doing more research on that and reporting as we go, but uh, pretty powerful. So we, we just stand with each and every person as the active space of love. And to keep bringing that forward in such a powerful way that every... tiny smidgen of suffering that could possibly come is healed and that uh, we bring that forward into a, a world that is so horribly traumatized that it needs to be made new and and you can do that any other thoughts for you Susan Oh, that's beautiful. I can't wait. I, I, I avoided the Passion of the Christ, so I may just take you up on that, get that movie and watch it. Yeah, have worksheets and breathe. It's pretty heavy duty, but it opens such a space. And, and that, that scene, watch for that scene where Mary, you know, and she turns away and processes him falling as a child, and then it's like, behold, Mother, this is. I'm not playing the game that everybody else is looking at. I'm making it all new by the presence of love. Watch. Pretty awesome. Beautiful. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for all everything. Right. You and Jeannie both. All of you. I love you all. I appreciate and blessings. Have an awesome day. And we're down to just the last few. Well, actually, I think we've got about a minute left. Uh, Tim, uh, would you have any thoughts to pop in there in the last minute? Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll just leave it to you to close it out for 45 seconds, Tim. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> we can yeah, start tomorrow. Um, <laughs> there's always tomorrow. We have this, this the yeah. beauty of this show is five days a week, and so I, I, I will look forward to uh, continuing tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to it. Isn't it such an awesome gift that we've got this technology today where we can be sharing this with the world and, and have it in archives and I feel so blessed, so blessed. Yep, this and the archives are just a very, very wonderful gift. Yes, for sure. And you're an awesome gift. We appreciate you, sir, and we'll look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. And everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal lives. It's an awesome gift to give the world, and uh, bring a stranger to the show tomorrow. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. A-I-N-D-O-T-C-O-M. Evolving continuously.